And it's really important to celebrate small successes all the way along. I think that too many people think celebration is at the end of the journey, you know, when you've landed and you've got there and yes, I've got my goal and it's only been two years and it's fantastic. Welcome to Monday Mornings with Michelle, the new business podcast. Whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours. Strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I'm here with my most amazing guest, Joseph. Joseph, thank you so much for being here with us. Pleasure, Michelle. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So give everybody the 5,000-foot view of who you are and what you love to do. Oh, only 5,000 feet. Okay. (laughs) Or 1,000, you know, close as you can get to what's going on right now for you. Uh, well, that immediately reminds me that I'm not doing a lot of flying these days. Fact, not any. Um, well, I'm a executive coach. I'm a coach trainer. I'm an author. Um, I've written oh, 20 books at the last count on various sorts of uh, coaching. And, and latest one was coaching in neuroscience, um, leadership. Um, what else? Training. Um that, that's kind of area, but I've got to admit now that uh, I've started my next book. It's going to be a science fiction novel. So oh, I'm, fine. <laughs> we will I'm get breaking into out that in one that too. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So give us a bit of background. How did you get into executive coaching and what drew you in? Woo. Okay. Well, um, long story, fairly short. Um, I was... Well, I, I was a professional classical guitarist. In fact, I was a teacher. I was a performer. Um, and two things then at that time, many years ago. First was when you are performing in front of a load of people and you're doing classical music, there is only one right note. And if you get that right note wrong, there are people in the audience with musical scores of the piece that you're playing that will be delighted to point it out to you afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little bit more alarming than uh, like jazz or or improvisation or something like that. Uh, So there's the performance aspect. Um, And then there's also the teaching aspect. You know, how do you teach? Uh, How do you teach in such a way that the other person uh, is that works for the other person? Because uh, most of us teach in a way that would work perfectly if we were the student. But it's a little bit different if you try and change it. So. I used to, um, of course, I would teach uh, some very good players as well, some concert players, and I would always let them, uh, you know, I'd put them in the studio, I'd say, sit down, make yourself at home, Uh, I'll go get, make us some coffee, you just take out your guitar and practice. So that's what they did. And while I made the coffee, I would listen at the door. And listening at the door, I could get an idea of how they could really play you know, at their best, <laughs> when they did not feel under pressure, judged, self-conscious, etc. So then at least I have that marker. So then I go in and uh, the teacher is, has entered the room. So immediately things start to go wrong. And then <laughs> they play much less well because of the, all those sort of things that we know, the self-consciousness, the, the feeling of judgment, all the inner voices that... Uh, that, that go into stopping us giving our best. So I was finding that um, most of the good players, you know, they knew the technical stuff, 
I didn't have to, to show them that or teach them that. But what I did have to do is to help them to be their best, the best that they could be. And I knew they could be because I'd listened uh, under a stress performance situation. So in that sense, I was a coach many years ago, although that wasn't how I thought about it because there wasn't really coaching then as such. So that was that was the start. And, you know, the inner game, the inner game of music where uh, we have all those voices that tell us we're not so good. And, and that's really the opponent that we have to deal with. Nice. Totally get that. And you're speaking my language. You're preaching to the choir. So yeah. how did you transition into executive coaching? Well, first of all, um, I because I was interested in that part of music, um, I used to do a lot of, uh, read a lot of psychology, go to a lot of seminars about the psychology of performance and, and these sorts of things. So that's where I heard about, uh, first of all, neuro-linguistic programming and a number of other psychologies about good performance. And that got me interested. So I started to, I thought I'd write a book. Great. You know, why not? I can write a book. <laughs> so I thought, <laughs> hardest work ever. Um and it was uh, turned down by, I think it was 35 publishers. I was very persistent. So I got turned down by 35 publishers. And I thought, well, I think this is good. You know, this deserves to be out there. So I published it myself. And, you know, again, we're talking, uh, oh, 1980s now, when there wasn't all this self-publishing and, uh, you know, just uh, publishing on demand or anything like that. I had to have a, a spare room full of a couple of thousand books at this point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it, it was okay. It, uh, I managed uh, my, my first foray into entrepreneurship. Um, and um, that led to other things then because uh, another publisher picked up on that and thought, oh, well, you know, this is interesting. Um, let's, let's build on this. So then that got me... Uh, accepted by the mainstream publishers at the time and that's what's got me into into authors but and and then I because I was interested in NLP and those sort of psychologies I was always looking for something that that focused it on uh, people on something important something where I could make a difference and I found coaching the the really ideal form in which to do that to make those things practical and real that I knew about and could write about. Nice. So what kind of things are you coaching people on now? Is it still on writing books or is there a different niche? Um, well, I, I, I coach on, on a number of things, but I mean, I coach executives because mm -hmm. uh, I very much enjoy executive coaching. It's really interesting, smart people that uh, really you learn a lot from them. You know, it really makes a difference. And of course, their decisions can be very, very influential in many, many ways. Uh, and just, I think, quite by accident or randomly, I started to um, pick up on executives who are either working in the financial industry or um, in the energy industry. So that's where I've done the majority of my executive coaching, which has been fascinating. I've learned so much about <laughs> the, the financial industry and the um, energy industry, the financial industry, particularly around 2008, 2009, when it was all going uh, bad in many ways. All going haywire. And you got an opportunity to travel the world. So, you know, how bad could yeah, that be? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Nice. It's fabulous. That's awesome. So who do you love to work with now? Who's your favorite 
ideal client? Uh, well, uh, an executive who wants to be coached, who's mm -hmm. interested in that process and um, is willing to spend some time reflecting and acting, you know, because coaching is all about doing something you know you at the end of a coaching session you don't just say we'll go away and think about it and you don't accept a client who says i'll go away and think about it you say what are you going to do <laughs> what will you do uh, and um, that's what we're going to talk about next next time so yeah i it's, that's that's really it I, i've had some wonderful fabulous um clients in my time and um you know it, it's like Marshall, what marshall goldsmith says um the success of the coach is just having wonderful clients that's that's what <laughs> i wholeheartedly agree now you mm. so give us an example of one of your cinderella stories of one of your clients ah, um i guess um i'm not going to give details here but certainly Change the name of the guilty. I can talk in general terms. I mean, there are many mm -hmm. um, clients, particularly in the financial industry, um, who have been struggling towards what I would call authentic leadership and perhaps what they would call now um, personal branding, um, something that they can be themselves, act with their team, uh, be effective as an executive, but at the same time be able to feel that they're living a life that's that's for them. You know, they're not just uh, doing stuff all the time because they have to, and the world is is working too fast for them. So it's it's mostly been about um, values led decisions, um, teamwork, and career. Uh, in terms of what what can I do to develop my career? And many of the executives that I've coached have gone on to um, wider wider um, jobs, let's say, that they've really felt that have been uh, fulfilling, more fulfilling for them, because as they've grown in their work, so, um, you know, the 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 work becomes more constricting they want to move on and this is this is the growth that we all have i think and we all need nice so when you say finance you are you referring to banks are you referring to insurance companies or both or mostly banks yeah mostly banks yeah some of the larger banks and smaller banks is there a um i guess is there a nuance to to banks over other financial institutes when it comes to leadership, because from my outside perspective, I perceive banks as being a lot more conservative in their judgment and more they're playing a longer game, all those kind of fun things. Do you notice any of that or is it kind of people are people? Well, people are people. They have the same thing, you know, it's balance of life, family, values, decision making, working with teams. These things, you know, uh, managing upwards, these things are perennials. They always come up. Um, but banking certainly changed in the last 10 years. Um, that's for sure. <laughs> um, a, lot, a lot of it has been taken over by artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, it's true, of course, you know, um, financial and medicine. Those are the two um, professions where you don't want to make mistakes because they have 
considerable impact. So they're naturally much more risk averse. Uh, and that's, you know, that's fair enough. At the same time, at least in banking, um, the, the, sh the short term approach um, has there, there was two things, you know, one is the short term approach, you know, are the next are the next financials in three months time, the next quarterly figures, are they OK? You know, and an executive who said, well, I can make them OK, but at the expense of the figures in a year is going to have a hard time or did have a hard time. Right? Um, because there's always that short term and long term. It's like, yeah, if we do things now in the short term, we could be worse off in the long term. We need to look long term. Um, at the same time, it's very important, of course, to, to have quarterly figures that, that people can see and say, you know, this, this uh, organization, whether it's a bank or anything else, is going somewhere. It's, it's going good places and it's, it's worth investing in. So that's a tension, I think, that many executives feel. And I don't think that's changed very much. And I would think it had only changed more in the last few months, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. So yeah. is your approach to the coaching, is it more of the psychology of it? Is it more of what actions are you going to take? A little bit of both? It's a, it's a bit of both. Um, one of the books that I did was called How Coaching Works, which was a kind of history of coaching and trying to get... Uh, teasing out those elements of the different coaching schools or different coaching approaches all over the world, what did they have in common? You know, because there's, there's at least half a dozen different coaching approaches. Um, but what did they have in common? What was it about that that they had in common? Uh, and that's what I, I try to go for. So it's very much about, you know, of course, listening to the, to the person to provide a space for them to, um, be able to interject and ask questions without making suggestions or pressure or anything like that and letting them take responsibility for, for their decisions. But at the same time, balancing that support with the challenge, you know, too much support and it's all very comfortable and there's not a lot of change too much challenge and it gets a little bit stressful and a little bit uncomfortable and there can be pushback. So, you know, support, 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 challenge <laughs> upwards, then support, support, support a bit more until challenge. And then you look back and you'll see that, you know, there's been a gradient upwards. Uh, and because it's been slight, it's not so noticeable, but it's still very much upwards, it's like a plane taking off. You know, the gradient is slight, but if you go fast enough, you're going to get quite high quite soon. Nice. So is... Did you find that looking around the world and the different coaching approaches, were they more culturally based differences or result oriented differences? Like was somebody getting more successes out of it than uh, out of certain systems than others? What were your findings? Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's a bit different. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of NLP coaching because uh, NLP neurolinguistic programming has a, a lot of skills and, and a focus on those things that are important in coaching, goals, you know, values, um, beliefs or mental models, as I call them, the ideas that we have. Um, so that's certainly an important um, part of coaching. There is um, a school of coaching, um, mostly in, in Latin America and Spain, ontological coaching, which uh, is based not only more on particular conversational, um, how can I say, um, 
word forms that 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 can be used or coached, uh, particular sorts of conversations that they have, uh, and also much wider range of emotions um, that are, that come into coaching. Whereas in in Europe and UK and America, um, you don't get that wide range of emotions. You know, you, it would be unusual to have someone break down in tears. Not that I'm saying that's bad in any way. People do, and it's fine. I it's always just, said it was never a good day in coaching until somebody either called me a bitch or started crying. And it's like, yes, we've got somewhere. <laughs> Usually it's like, oh my God, I can't believe you got that. You're such a bitch. It was the, well, the, you know, the challenge. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> exactly. You've got a challenge and, and um, you know, people will, will, will move and that's mm. fine. It's just that, you know, again, culturally, there's a display of emotion that's, uh, that's expected or, or not expected. So that comes into it. Um, positive psychology coaching, focusing more on, uh, and this is, you know, this is, of course, quite general in coaching, focusing what's in, what's good, what's happening that's good, as opposed to a lot of psychological approaches, which is something's wrong, let's fix it. So that's, that's it's good to have that balance. Um, let's talk about that for one second, because I know that there's a lot of people that, out there that think that, they have to work on their weaknesses in order to become uh, more effective. And other people that are totally against that think you need to focus on your strengths and, and enhance those. And to me, there's this middle balance of celebrating your wins, which whether you're focused on <laughs> overcoming your weaknesses or strengthening your strengths, you still have to celebrate your successes. So can you differentiate those and where's your opinion on those? Yeah, I think um, yes. You, it's important to work on weaknesses, but they're not. That's not. It's not that something's wrong with you. Yeah, it's just you know there are certain things that that you know you could be better at. You want to be better at, and so you work on them, and that's fine. Um, you you will have strengths. I mean, I I work on weaknesses until they become strengths, and then I I work on the next weakness. You know, <laughs> so. And no point in working on your strengths, but I certainly celebrate them. And I totally uh, right with you there about celebrating um, successes. And it's really important to celebrate small successes all the way along. I think that too many people think celebration is at the end of the journey, you know, when you've landed and you've got there. And yes, I've got my goal and it's only been two years and it's fantastic. Well, that's fine. That's great. But at the same time, there's been a number of steps over that two years and every step deserves celebration. And that's just the way the brain works. You know, mm -hmm. we want to celebrate. We need those rewards um, we're not so good at waiting and waiting and waiting. We will wait, provided the rewards are are coming in a small stream, you know, and that's fine. And that's certainly something neuroscience has taught me. Um, you know, we you see it in children, of course. You don't <laughs> just just wait for you know wait for a week and and then then we'll have your party. No, no. <laughs> Yeah. I have no idea how long a week is, and it sounds yeah, really long. Infinity. <laughs> Come on, something now. And there's a little part of us that is always there like that, you know, mm. because, the you know, you think ahead in a year's time, oh, what the hell is a year? It's, it's, it's very abstract. And, and as mm. adults, we get used to dealing with these abstract things. But mm. as children, not so. So there's, there's certainly the celebration, there's the weaknesses um, and the strengths. So I think, yeah, as you say, balanced approach, and we need all of that. Right. I used to say that when there's a direct correlation towards 
how far out your goals are, the attainment of your goals, and and the amount of money you make. Somebody that's goal is on Friday is going to be making substantially less than somebody whose goal is going to take 20 years to achieve. But that doesn't mean that, you know, if I set my goal as I'm going to go out and drink with my buddies on Friday, that I set a goal of I'm going to go drink with my buddies on Friday 20 years from now, that's not a 20-year goal. <laughs> Just because you're waiting uh, for 20 years for that to happen is not the same. It's a, a goal that takes 20 years to accomplish, which means that there's going to be stepping stones along the way, and all of those stepping stones have to be celebrated if you're going in the right direction. <laughs> that's right. I mean, those those goals are punctuation marks. It's like a book, you know. You're reading to the end of the book, and uh, as you get certain places, there's a punctuation mark. Here's a full stop. Here's a comma. Here's the end of the chapter. And, you know, that's that's fine. But it's an important point that you make about um, that what I call a time horizon, because um, with a short time horizon – you are not going to be able to um, plan and organize and manage um, the, the sort of work that we're talking about. So the higher up in an organization you go, the longer the time horizon you need. So if you're going to be CEO of a, an international company, you're going to need a time horizon of oh, 10, 20 years. You're going to have to look ahead and you can't plan and control ahead, but you've got to have that horizon. Now, I think horizon is a good metaphor because, you know, you see that far, you don't know what's beyond it. You know, there's something beyond it and you keep walking. And as you keep walking, what was beyond the horizon that you saw just then becomes visible. And then you can, you know, you, you know what you do. Whereas the, the person who is, uh, on the door of that same international head office doesn't need a time horizon of more than a week or two. And then they won't be paid for that. So you're 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 paying for kind of time horizons in in many ways like this. Well, yeah, because it, it is definitely a skill to be able to set a say twenty year goal versus a five year goal. A lot of people yeah. see it as quite easy to set goals that are kind of in the forefront, <laughs> but when it gets beyond yeah, that, yeah. all of a sudden it becomes a, a hidden skill of that visionary. But it's also cultural too. I remember giving I did a training with a. Um, multinational group there was from uh, south america from europe from the united states and, and from far eastern japan and uh, just to find we were talking about goals we were talking about long-term goals okay nice easy phrase to understand <laughs> so, <laughs> <we thought. laughs> so and then i thought okay well we better find out what a long-term goal is to these various people mm. so uh, for some uh, it was um, year and a half year and a half three years yeah. Mm -hmm. For others, it was five years. For others, it was 15. For the Japanese group, it was 30. <laughs> so, you know, and that's I've always kept that in mind when I talk about long term goals, because, you know, I'm, I'm so using the same phrase. One person is thinking <laughs> 18 months. The other person is thinking 30 years <laughs> or 150 <laughs> years. Then you got a real. <laughs> <laughs> and no wonder there's misunderstanding, you know, right. That's awesome. So when you start working with somebody, kind of walk us through the process of how do you work with them? What are you looking for? All that kind of fun stuff. It's difficult to, to, to answer that just uh, in without a context. Mm -hmm. um, people will, will bring what's important to them uh, always to the surface if, if you give them time. Mm -hmm. uh, and one, one thing I like to give people space to, to talk 
And one thing I do look for, which I've always looked for, is perhaps my training as a musician and the space between the notes. So, you know, music is, is notes, but the spaces between the notes are what makes the piece of music so beautiful instead of just a kind of cacophony of a, like a piano being thrown off a 20-story building. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you listen to what people say, but you also listen to what, what they don't say, what they might have said but didn't, what really they should be saying because of what they're talking about but don't. And that's sometimes what I, you know, that's my job to surface that. I'll say things like, you know, you've been talking about this for the uh, last 10 minutes or so in your work, but you haven't actually mentioned, you know, your, your, your boss, or you haven't actually mentioned your family, or you haven't actually mentioned whether you enjoy it or not, you know. <laughs> so let's, let's hear about that. <laughs> and that's when the fun starts. Nice. I love that. So what are some of the stumbling blocks that our listeners might be having right now? And they're thinking, oh, my God, Joseph, I need you so badly right now. Ah, I don't know. Um, I think there's a lot of, um, of course, in the, over the last two years and beyond, there, there's stress. There's a lot of stress in terms of the, the pandemic and the lack of control and, you know, work and jobs and everything is changing. Uh, and there's a lot of stress involved with that. And that's certainly one thing that I'm dealing with much more, um, that kind of stress and anxiety, because um, I think we, we talked a little bit about this before, but my, my latest book was on neuroscience and coaching the brain. It's called. Mm -hmm. So the neuroscience of these things is very interesting because stress um, most people think stress, stress, I don't want stress, but stress is natural in a way insofar as um, it's our body's reaction to challenge. You know? mm -hmm. So we get up in the morning and we get a shot of cortisol, which is that um, hormone from the adrenal glands just above the kidneys, and it wakes us up and we are ready for the day. We need that. If we didn't have that, we would be going around, you know, half asleep. But I don't think that's so bad, personally. <laughs> <laughs> but, just so you know course, so my partner wakes up as soon as the alarm clock goes up so bing he's vertical and he's off doing his thing and i'm like whatever <laughs> that's, that's not my that's way the, to wake up yes yeah, <laughs> but you need that the, the problem comes if you get a high level of cortisol over too long a period mm -hmm. um, a very high level of cortisol because it's the body's response to um, challenge you know, I need to I need to do something. I'm being challenged. That thing, bad things are happening. You know, I need to react. And if those levels of cortisol go high, and especially if they stay high chronically, then that's when you get the symptoms of stress. You know, brain fog and not being able to sleep well and digestive upsets, all of those things. That's the bad aspect of stress, particularly when we feel we can't, we don't have control over what's happening. Nice. I was just going to ask you, is there any kind of precursor symptoms that you've noticed so that people don't have to go into kind of chronic fatigue or chronic illness in order to see the signs coming? So how do you tell the difference between good stress and bad stress? Yeah, there's, that's, a, that's a very good distinction, uh, which is often, it's often called eustress, that's E-U, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, which is good stress, and distress, which is bad stress. 
And the eustress, the good stress, is just like a good workout in the gym. You know, you're stressing the muscles. You're pushing them further than they're used to. You're taking them past the comfort zone. But at the same time, there's a perception that you have the abilities, you have the resources, you've got the backup, someone's got your back, that it, it's going to be okay. You know you can cope and you keep pushing. That's, that's good stress. The bad stress is these things are happening. No one's got your back. It's out of control. You don't feel you have any control about it. Uh, and it's just a constant push. And every time you get something done, 10 other things take its place. Or the really important things you plan and plan and plan, and then they collapse because of another, um, another Greek letter. Uh, virus Greek letter has you know come up and it's nothing to do with you and it's nothing to do with anybody's control but it but it happens so you know these are these are the two things and and certainly with uh, executives and with all of my coaching clients I do kind of help them and teach them to to be aware and to pay attention to body signals You've got to be aware of that. It's part of the emotional intelligence because emotional intelligence starts with awareness of your own feelings and your own emotions. What kind of body signals are they looking for? Oh, um, the, the, the fear, the anxiety that continues on past, you know, because fear is fine. You know, fear is there. You're threatened and boom, you do something about it and then it goes down. But if it keeps on, you know, if, you, if you're always feeling anxious, um, or you're, all, you're always feeling afraid, um, you're always feeling sad, um, this is like a you kind of thermostat's been reset, as it were. And then you need to pay some attention to bringing that back down because it's our bodies are amazingly adaptive and adaptable. And you get used to a certain level and that can then be the new normal. So it's the old thing about the, you know, the frog in, in the, the, the jug of water that's fine. And you heat it and heat it and heat it. And the, the frog gets used to the heat and gets used to the heat and get used to the heat. And suddenly it's boiling. <laughs> you know, and but you haven't you you haven't got used or you haven't noticed because it's been um, a slow burn, as it were. So mm -hmm. it's very important. Um, to be aware of your of your baselines, as it were, um, particularly sleep. I mean, my my researches in neuroscience have showed me that sleep is one of the most important things you can possibly do for your brain. Mm -hmm. And the number of conversations I've had with executives who will say, you know, well, I only have, only had only able to have four hours sleep last night because I had so much to do. And I'm going, <laughs> you won't be able to do it if you've only had four hours sleep. This is the exact opposite of the effect that you're trying to have. You need seven hours sleep where you can focus and, and get things done. It's what a solid fan of eight and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, catch I, on. I like my I sleep. Get, I go seven. But, you know, the, the neuroscience research around that yeah. is impeccable. You, mm -hmm. you that not only is it good for you to consolidate memory to get focused the next day but if you don't um, you're much more likely to to be stressed and get ill so. well yeah and i think it comes back to that self-assessment of at the end of the day even though there were challenges and even though you had to overcome stressful situations at the end of the day do you feel like wow that was a good day i i put my all into it it was great 
I'm, I'm done. I get to go to sleep now. That to me is the signal that you're in good stress. If it's, Oh no, and I didn't get that done. I didn't get that done. I need to do this. I still need to do that. That's not good. (laughs) That's that's when you're, you know, drawing that line and you're not going to be able to sleep as well. Talk to me about the support and environment. Cause I know a lot of people, um, have issues with the idea of, well, you know, cryptocurrency is going to take over the banking system and it's going to fall and it's going to go into never, never land. And, you know, how am I supposed to deal with the pandemic? I have no control over that. Of course, these external things are going to stress me out. How do you respond to those sort of things? Well, let's start with the idea of control, um, because that's that's an interesting concept. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I think it's been shaken quite a lot over the last two years. We are, um, for the most part, um, taught that we can control things. And the truth is we can't, you know, we can't even control the thoughts that come in our head in the next 20 (laughs) seconds, you know, sit down for 20 seconds and see if you can keep a a calm mind. You know, we can't even control our own thoughts. And so the idea of control, I think, is a very anxiety provoking idea, which Mm -hmm. I'll call a mental model. It's like, oh, we've got control. That's a mental model. No, you haven't. But that doesn't mean that everything's going to just completely collapse. Mm -hmm. You have influence, certainly. uh, And acceptance as well. So if we're talking about, um, you know, things going wrong, then certainly one thing that I've found very useful in dealing with that sort of stress is, first of all, okay, this is where I am, okay? Uh, I, I feel I should be somewhere else. I want to be somewhere else, but I'm not somewhere else, okay? <laughs> I'm right here. So acceptance, okay. Then, then we can look at what's actually happening. Well, it's no good kind of spinning out about what might happen because the great antidote to anxiety is action, doing something. Now, in the short term, you know, that's actually going down the gym because, you know, taking physical action does actually help with that anyway. But I'm talking more about what can I do right now to change the situation? And again, it's not thinking about it. It's concrete action steps that you're going to take. So that's the first step. Because once once your mind goes into, okay, what can I do? It's a different circuit to, oh, my God, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Then it's all going to collapse. And I'm going to get ill. And I'll lose my job. And I'll be out on the street. These are the sort of spinning spirals, uh, ruminations that our brains can go into very easily. Uh, with what's called a default mode network, you know, it spirals down into that. Whereas if you go, okay, what am I going to do here? That's a different network. So that's first thing. Second thing is, well, okay, if there is a train coming, um, what can I do to mitigate the, the results? You know, what can I do to soften the blow? There are some things I can do to stop it. I'm going to try those for sure. Now, okay, if the train's still coming and that doesn't work, what can I do to soften that impact? So then there'll be some other things there. And then the third thing is, okay, well, let's supposing that all of these things don't work. I'm not saying they won't. We, we're going to do our very, very best. But let's suppose, worst case, that it doesn't. What can I do to recover? What are the things that I can have in place that if 
you know, the train hits the, the buffers, then I know that I've got some recovery here. Mm -hmm. I know that I can survive. I've taken steps to know that it's going to be okay. And then if you, if you actually invest in those three action plans, that is going to allay a great deal of anxiety and a great deal of stress. Awesome. Love that. So I know that our listeners are going to want more from you. How do they begin their journey with you? Well, um, coachingthebrain.com is a good place to start. Uh, that's got some, some good stuff there. Uh, and I can be contacted through there. I'm on LinkedIn as well, Joseph O'Connor. Um, so that's, that's a good place to start. I'd be delighted to hear from, from people. Awesome. And of course, read the book, Coaching the Brain, Practical Applications of Neuroscience to Coaching. Nice. And I assume you have links on those at your web, on your website? Absolutely. Nice. Yeah. So peeps, we will have those links in the show notes. And of course, as always, you can go to awarenessstrategies.com slash blog, search for Joseph or mind coaching and the brain neuroscience. You will most likely find it will come up front. But of course, Joseph O'Connor uh, is who we're speaking to today, and you will get a ton of awesome information on his website. Excellent. So uh, I have to ask you at this point, how did you know that you were a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? <laughs> I'm tempted to say I didn't have a choice. Uh, <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> what happened? Tell tales. Did I make a choice to be an entrepreneur? I'm going, um, I never really, <laughs> I just did what I love doing. Is that being an entrepreneur? Okay, fine. <laughs> Maybe it is. Nice. So follow your heart. <laughs> It'll yeah, work. yeah. Nice. You know, I, I do a lot of things and uh, a lot of interests, and some of them earn money and some of them don't. And, you know, that's just the way it is. Um, I think if you, you know, if you follow, if you follow your heart, then you'll have a good life and, you know, make some, make some money in the meantime. You're bound to if you follow your heart. Nice. Love that. So thank you again so much for your time, Joseph. It has been awesome and amazing. I know your time is valuable and I appreciate it. Any last words for our peeps? Oh, last words. Um, well, there's always a, in, in half an hour, I'll think of a brilliant, fantastic last word. <laughs> Call me moment, back up. We'll record it. <laughs> Slap yeah. it on the end. It'll well, be great. The moment, just, just what's working for me, <laughs> the ability to say no because there are so many fascinating, wonderful, intricate, amazing things that we can do. And the, the, the big temptation is to, oh yes, 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 I'll do that. Yes, that, yes, that, yes, oh, that's fantastic. And you end up doing a lot of things not very well, or even worst case, ending up some really, and not doing some really important things. So there's gonna be times and I'm, I keep meeting them where I go, oh, that's re I'd really love to get into that, but, no. And then that focuses you down into what's really important for you. Nice. Love that. Awesome. This is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app so that we can help you scale your business. We love having you here. Thank you for listening to our show. I'm all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support that they need to make it in business. As such, the notes for this show can be found at our website at awarenessstrategies.com slash blog. 
Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating. I like five stars personally. And share with your friends.